Today was going to be um, basically a summary of everything that we have done so far. And I thought, well, what, what am I missing? Is there something that I, I haven't, you know, covered? And is, is, what else is there to teach? And, and I'm like, other than, you know, everything. It's like, because part of me is like, well, all right, 10 weeks studying what it means to be a disciple. We're all disciples now. Congratulations. Should we bake ourselves a cake and like, you know, move on to the next thing? Um, I woke up in the middle of the night. I've been sleeping on the couch. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> but I basically, in having to sleep on my back, I'm kind of like a, a Wolverine on a CPAP machine while tuning up a Harley. I, it's just the sounds that come out of my face now, sleeping on my back, especially with a head cold. It's just unreal. I'm not going to put Mara through that. Um, so I've been sleeping on the couch, but I keep waking up. I keep, you know, it's part of it's the pain. Part of it's like, what? I wake myself up with my own ungodly noises. But I woke up and like, I, I just, this thought just came to me just out of the clear blue sky. I wasn't thinking about it. It just came out of nowhere was, you know, and I don't, I don't know if it's Jesus. It wasn't kind of in the first person. It was really came out as a statement that Jesus is the only one who ultimately knows what it means to follow him. Like, I can't tell you exactly what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus knows. I don't. I can look at Scripture. I can look at his, you know, capital D, disciples. I can look at Paul's words. I, you know, I can postulate. I can paint a picture of what it looks like from Scripture that a disciple looks like. And certainly nothing that Jesus would lead you in or call you to is going to contradict anything that's in the Scriptures. But... But when it comes to what it's going to mean for you to follow Jesus, only Jesus knows that, right? Only Jesus knows your heart. I don't. Like only Jesus really knows. And it's his voice that we're following anyway. It, it's, it's what we, you know, start off every week with. And this idea of this foundation that this is Jesus's great commission that we go there for and make, make disciples. The heart of what we've been doing is Jesus's words um, to uh, follow his voice and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Like if you're his disciple, you need to be listening to his voice. I can speak what the Holy Spirit inspires me to speak. I can speak what I find in Scripture. But, but Jesus' voice is going to speak to you, and I, I, I can't tell you what Jesus is saying to you. Um, I can tell you that you need to listen, just like I can say I need to listen. Tommy Shelton needs to listen. And I can honestly say through studying this that, that if there's one thing I've learned is that I don't listen nearly as much, or at least I don't give Jesus an opportunity to speak so I can listen. And the warning is still dire. It, 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 it is still pervasive. It's still over everything. And I mean, just, just watch the news. Just, just open your eyes. Like the gospel of Jesus is the only message that's not welcome in the world. Like the person of Jesus is the only one who's not welcome everywhere. Jesus is the only one that's not tolerated. His words are the only words that have spoken truthfully are the words that, that, that the world wants to silence. Like we will either belong to Jesus and be hated by the world or we can belong to the world for a short season and then be separated from Jesus forever. So I'm like, how, how do I wrap up a series on discipleship? And it's like, well, maybe I can just go to Jesus's words. And, and I was brought again 
to a, a, a section of, of the words of Jesus that have been so profound to me. And every time I read them, I feel as though I'm reading them again for the first time. And it's John 17, the high priestly prayer. And I read through that and, and all of a sudden, you know, this whole outline um, that I thought was so clever and so studious of mine, it's just all in John 17. And it's just all there. So here's the outline again of what we've been doing. We deny ourselves and abide in Christ. We have a thirst and a knowledge and dependence on the scriptures, the, the word and the words of God. We find our purpose and our joy in pleasing the Father. And, and we make disciples. Okay, We participate with Jesus. We're used by Jesus to, to make more disciples. And we do that by knowing our calling. We do that by knowing our gifts. And we do that by using our gifts to faithfully fulfill our calling. And this is the sentence that I can't ever speak without stumbling on it. Which inevitably results in bearing the marks of a disciple. Hey, just said it. Right? Thank you. I'm growing. I'm being sanctified which inevitably results in bearing the marks of the disciples. And like inevitably, like think about that word, like, like how can I use a word so definitive? Like that is a declarative statement. Like, like I, I, I am telling you, I am crawling out upon that limb and, I, and I'm declaring to you that, that, that if you are Christ's disciple, you will bear the marks of, of a disciple and the defining mark of that disciple is you will be making more disciples. Like, how can I say that? Like, how can I say that with such confidence? Right? Because, I mean, I know, and James warns me also in the scriptures, like, why would anybody want to be a, a, a teacher? Don't you know that, that teachers are judged more harshly? Like, by stepping up and saying, yeah, I'll preach. I'm saying, yeah, I'll be judged more harshly. Yes, sign me up for that. Yes, Jesus, like, judge me for every word that I claim is yours. Like, how can I say so clearly that this will inevitably result in, in the bearing of the marks of the disciples. Like I'm telling you right now, if you are Christ's disciple, you will bear the marks of a disciple, right? If you are Christ's disciple, you will make disciples. You will make disciples. And all those things we spent 10 weeks teaching about, those things will be true, right? How can I say that so definitively? Because these aren't my words to begin with. Remember, like, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I'm not trying to get you to follow me, right? I've proven that that's, that's not ultimately very successful, right? Land of milk and honey? I don't know. Uh, milk and honey's covered. Anyway. <laughs> don't follow me, right? I want you to follow him. I'm not trying to make disciples of me anyway. I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. These are Jesus' words. I didn't come up with them. They're his words. Okay, so let's think about words for a moment, all right? Of all the words that you speak, right, either out loud or just you speak in your own heart, in your own mind, and I mean, just, I mean, how many words have you never actually spoken out loud, but you have spoken them to yourself, right? Uh, you know, fancy educated people, they call it self-speak. Like, what kind of self-speak are you, are you, you know, do, what do you say to yourself, right? And if, like, you botch a batch of jello and you say to yourself, oh, I suck, I'm the worst. Like, maybe you should examine that a little closer. Like, what are, you, what, are you really, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? Like, what are the words that are the most honest and the most true, the most revealing and the most dear? 
Okay? They're words spoken alone and from the heart. And as Christians, the words that we speak when we are alone and from our heart are words of honest prayer. Like when you're really praying to the Lord, just you and Him, and you're being honest. Have you ever stopped yourself mid-sentence in a prayer and go, all right, Lord, I know I'm not going to fool you. Like, blah, 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 blah. What am I saying? Like, I'm going to pull one over on you. you. You know what I'm struggling with. Like, you know, I guess you know what I'm struggling with. And oftentimes, when, when I go down that little rabbit hole of prayer, all I end up being left with is just the name of Jesus. Because I find myself like, like I'm praying circles, you know, down deeper into myself. And it's like, um, you know what you get when you peel back a layer of onion? Onion. You know, when you, when you peel back that layer, you know what you find? More onion, right? You just keep peeling back these layers and layers of self and self and self, and you're just going to find more self. So sometimes these words of real honest to goodness, just honest between you and the Lord prayer, you realize that the answer is not here. It's with him. And it, so you just find yourself just praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So if we are the disciples of Jesus, which words of Jesus should we hold the most dear? Which words of Jesus should, should we focus in on? Which words of Jesus should we meditate on? Like which words of him? Because we know that the gospels are full of these red letters and we know that we shouldn't argue with them. We might not understand them, but we know we shouldn't argue with them. But what words, what red letters should we hold most dear? The words of Jesus. His prayer when he's alone, just he and his father. And as disciples, we actually have a prayer that Jesus prays alone, he and his father praying for his disciples. And guess what? We claim to be his disciples. So this prayer is a private prayer between Jesus and the father. I mean, you know that when you really want to know what people think about you, you have to listen to them when you're not around. Right? And a lot of times, most times, hopefully every time, that's not possible. Right? Like you, you really don't. Well, here's an opportunity we have. Right? Here's an opportunity we have to listen in on the prayer, the honest, heartfelt, sincere prayer of Jesus between him and his father, his prayer for his disciples. John 17, known as the high priestly prayer. Why is this known as the high priestly prayer? That sounds like you know, religious kind of mumbly-jumbly, all right? It's called the high priestly prayer because of a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That statement's put in the negative, put it in the positive. We have a high priest that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Who's weak? I mean, all we do every week when we share a prayer request is, I mean, I should just start out with, all right, who's weak? You want to share details about your weakness? Details about somebody else's weakness that they don't mind you sharing? Right? We're just, I mean, our prayers are just confessions of weakness. At least our prayers are. Right? We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet is without sin. We have a high priest that has come face to face with every one of our situations, with every one of our temptations. But he didn't sin. But he was there. You know, like how you say, you know, like, oh man, I've been there. Man, I have been there. Like and every time you share one of your weaknesses and you hear somebody say, oh, I've been there, you're like, have you really been there? 
I mean, have you really, really been there? You know, I just, I'm sorry, this is the first example that left to mind is, is um, you know, Mara and, and we've we lost a few babies along the way and two of them were really early on and two of them were kind of farther along and one of them was just particularly heartbreaking and Mara and I are praying and she's praying, you know, like, Lord, why is this? She's like, God, is, is you know, ha- have you allowed me to go through this so that I could comfort somebody else? I mean, it's like days, maybe a couple weeks later into that. My sister picks up the phone, calls Mara because my sister lost a baby. Right? So Mara was able to identify with that weakness, with that hurt, right? So like, imagine that, but on an eternal, perfect, never-ending scale with Christ. We have a high priest who is able to look at us square in the eye and he can say, and he's not lying, I've been there. Temptations, you know, lusts, um, uh, temptation to give in to weakness, to uh, give in to your own will and not the Father's will, to go for what's easy instead of what's hard, to not endure, to throw it in, to give up. Like Jesus is able to connect with us. He's been there. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Like, so this is the prayer, John 17, this is the prayer for his disciples, the disciples of that great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. This is not just like a distant, absent, just kind of liturgical prayer where Jesus is just kind of going through the motions. This is the prayer for us of a priest who has been where we are. Right? This is the prayer of someone who has been there. Right? The high priestly prayer is Jesus' heart and hope for his disciples. It's Jesus' heart. Like I said, what's most revealing are those quiet times of real honesty. Right? So this is Jesus' heart being revealed and his hope for his disciples. We have ruined the word hope. We don't understand hope. We misuse the word hope. I misuse the word hope every single day. So what I, I have I have said about like if I do, if I accomplish nothing else with the English language, I'm going to come up with a clear and concise alternative for the word hope so we can actually say what we really mean and not abuse the word that is so powerful in scripture when you understand it for what it is to be. A hope is not a wish. This is not Jesus's wish for his disciples. Jesus is not wishing stuff for his disciples. My, my working draft of the word that we can use instead of hope is, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, this is not the final draft, this is a rough draft, so I'm working with this. Maybe I can beta test it with you guys. You can work it out like in your own conversations and prayers. This is what I worked out. I will be happy if, right? So it's like, ah, I hope the, the batteries in my remote aren't dead, right? Like, bring it down a few notches, Right? Just say, I'll be happy if the batteries in my remote aren't dead. Because again, we're acknowledging that happiness is circumstantial. The batteries might be dead. Oh man, that, that'll bum me out. I either have to walk all the way to the junk drawer and find two mismatched batteries and like rub them together and like put them in there and like hope. <gasps> Lights! Right? <gasps> the sun has returned to the sky. Right? We can be happy again. Right? Yeah. Right? I finally found this long lost remote. I'm like, you were lost and now you're found. I wanted to gather my neighbors together and throw a party, right? Like, like two days later, Judah's like, ah, 
<laughs> throws it on the tile. <laughs> right. All hope is gone, right? Really? What? Like, I lost my hope because the remote's broken? And it's not really broken. It's just kind of gangly. And I don't like things that are... I like things to be the way they should be. And every time I look at the gangly remote and the buttons don't quite press the way they're supposed to, I'm like, if only. Right? Happiness is circumstantial. So you say, I'll be happy if... Right? I would be happy if I'm not out of milk. I think I'm out of milk. Am I out of milk? Okay. So don't... Like, I hope I have milk. Don't, don't hope. Don't waste hope on something like that. Hope is faith in the future. We have faith in Jesus. And when we say we have faith in Jesus is we believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he did. He accomplished what he said he's accomplished. And we hope in Jesus' return. Not like I wish Jesus would return. Right? Like we hope in Jesus' return. Don't, don't say we hope that Jesus returns. That's putting it in doubt. Saying we hope in Jesus' return. See? We hope in Christ. Not we hope that Christ Fill in the blank. So we, we hope in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our faith is in him. Hope is just faith in the future. It's, it's future tense faith. So this is Jesus' heart and his hope for his disciples. So it's not Jesus' wish. It's, it's the declaration. It's the promise. It's the guaranteed future of his disciples. Now, I mean, is Jesus just saying these things because he's omnipotent, he's God, and he can look in the future and say, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen. Right? All right, uh, here, I'm just, again, uh, f- uh, family. All right, imagine my six children. Imagine them in our small you know, house in the living room and everything like that. And imagine that we just leave them alone for a few weeks. Right? And then we, yeah. And then we speak with amazing confidence that when we come back, this house will be even greater than when we left it. No, I mean, like, like, I mean, take like a moment in time, multiply that out by how long you're going to be gone. And then you're like, then you see the result. Chaos, right? So it can't be that Jesus just, he just, you know, I mean, because he spent a, he spent a little bit of time with his, with his bros, right? Spent a little time with these, these guys. And I mean, I don't know if you've read the disciples, but they were always correct, man. They were always spot on. They always had the right answer. They always did the right thing. So, I mean, Jesus could just tell, oh, man, I'm just going to leave this business in their capable hands. And when I come back, man, this, man, this is, is going to be awesome. No, it's not that Jesus just looks into the future. Because if all it was was that he could look into the future and see what the disciples build and, and the church that the disciples grow, like he's not going to see something beautiful and wonderful. He's going to see something chaotic and deadly. Right? The reason that Jesus can declare these things, can promise these things, can guarantee these things is because Jesus is declaring them. He is guaranteeing them. He he is decreeing them. In the words of his prayer, he's literally like, he is saying, this is going to happen. This is what it's going to be like with my disciples. How can he do that? Well, he even told us how that's possible. In John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that, check this out, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I mean, Jesus guarantees that if you pray for something in his name, it's a guarantee. It's going to happen. And you're like, that's not true. I prayed in Jesus' name that my neck would be healed. And it's still not. Right? 
well, did I really pray in Jesus' name? Like praying in Jesus' name is also something you can't really throw out there all, all higgledy-piggledy because what it means to pray in Jesus' name is that you are praying according to Jesus' will. You're like, and like, well, I'm, like if, if, if all we can do is pray according to Jesus' will, then you know, like, well, this seems to be like a wasted step. Why are we just, why are we just gonna, you know, why are we just gonna say the things that, that are already true? Like say them because they are true. Like it's that song, abide with me. Like we're, we're pleading and declaring at the same time, Jesus, abide with me. Well, guess what? Jesus reveals that it's his will to abide with us. So we're saying, Jesus like, I will abide with you. And you say, Jesus, abide with me. And he says, amen. Right? He can agree with us because we're agreeing with him. Like say the things that you know to be true. Declare those things in your prayer. Right? I mean, declare the things that you know to be true in your prayer. Like, wh- why pray about the things you're not sure of? I can pray. Instead of, Jesus, please heal my neck right now, I can pray, Jesus, thank you for healing my neck. And now I'm talking like a prosperity gospel guy. No, I'm putting my confidence in Jesus healing me in his proper perspective. Either now or in eternity, I'm not going to have a gangly neck. Right? He's either going to do it now and give me a few more years of a neck that bends you know, properly, and I can still work and stuff. Or when he returns, I'm going to be resurrected with his new body, right? So I'm declaring my healing, right? Thank you that, 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 that my neck will be healed. You know, thank you that my body will be healed. Tim, thank you. Thank you that my back has been healed. Like, who's got ailments? Just fill in the blank, right? I don't, I don't, I don't have all your stuff. Remember, like, Christy, I mean, my goodness. So like, we pray for this all the time. Your, your mind, right? Like, praise God that it's healed, like, you're not going to spend eternity in confusion and in anxiety. Like, declare it to be true because it is. This is not eternity. Right? This is the here and now. So say, Jesus, thank you for healing my mind. For right now, I'm in a season, Jesus. And you know how long this season is. Abide with me. Abide with me. Right? You pray it in Jesus' name, it's guaranteed. It's a promise if you pray it in his name. This is Jesus praying things in his name. This is the name praying things in his name. You're going to doubt these words? You're going to doubt that they're not true? We're not going to finish the high priestly prayer this week. It's, it's 26 amazing verses. I set out to do the whole thing this week. And, 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 and it, like two verses in, I'm like, no, yep, I remember this prayer. There's no way. Right? Preliminarily, shooting for three. Let's see what happens. But I do, I want to walk through this prayer almost verse by verse. Sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes there's one verse at a time. And I, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't have any more slides. This is just from the Word. So if you have your Bible, please turn to, or your device or whatever, turn to John 17. And we'll start in verse 1. And I just want, I want to do my best. And by the, by, the, by the grace of God, we'll lift out some truth from these first eight verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and declared, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. What is the first thing on Jesus' heart? Remember, these are the honest, clear, spoken 
from his heart words. What is the first thing on his heart? Is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. And and he even mentions glorify your son. Why does Jesus want to be glorified? What's the bottom line of Jesus' own glory? That the Son may glorify you. Jesus is admitting that he would have no glory if not for the Father. He says, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. What he wants to do is ultimately not be glorified. He wants to glorify the Father. And he knows that he doesn't have any glory outside of the Father. So, Father, glorify me so that I can glorify you. So that I may glorify you. That should be our prayer too. God, if there's anything glorious in me, it's from you. If I have any glory to give, you gave it to me to begin with. It gives that analogy I used all the time of the sun and the moon. The moon, you can, a full moon at night, you can read by the light of the moon. Right? But it has no light of its own. It's just a reflection of the light of the sun. Right? That, that's, that's, that's what Jesus is praying. Father, glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus, glorify your name in me. We can pray that too. Glorify your name in me, God. Father, glorify, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The number one desire of Jesus is the glory of God the Father. Turn back a couple pages to John 8. John 8, 54, and we'll see something really revealing um, about the Father. In John 8, 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. There are strategies, there are ways, there are methods, there are... To really maximize your life, maximize your earning potential, and maximize your health, and maximize your influence, and you can maximize yourself so much. Jesus is saying, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. What does this tell us about the Father's desire? The Father's desire is to glorify the Son. The Son's desire is to glorify the Father. So no matter which way you slice it, who's getting glory? God. That's the bottom line of God's own existence is for his own glory. And again, before we think, oh gosh, well, you know, that's convenient. You know, it's, it's his universe, so we do things his way, and his way is for him to get glory. Would a, would a loving father desire for my children to glorify in something that would ultimately kill them? No. The father demands that his creation glorify him, that his children glorify him because he knows if we glorify something else, if we glory in something else, it leads to our destruction. He's a loving father. He, he wants us to have life. Life is only found in him. Life is only found at the feet of Jesus. And so he's going to insist that we bow at the feet of Jesus. Not because he's God and you will do things my way. It's because he is a loving father. And a loving father wants to adopt these children 
through the life and death and resurrection of his son. He's going to draw people to the feet of his son. And, and, and he is going to bring himself glory through us. And we get brought life and fulfillment in the process. Jesus says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Again, what, what was our verse? What was our great commission? Right? Was, was that foundation that, that like we're, we're doing this disciple making thing. We're desiring to be a disciple because of that great commission. Go and make disciples. What does Jesus say before that? Something about all authority on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So Jesus has been given this authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So Jesus has the authority to give life. Jesus did not just have the authority to give advice. Right? When, when we marginalize Jesus and think of him or declare him to be just a good teacher, Jesus did not come just to be a good teacher, although he is. He came to give life. And to whom does he give life? He gives life to all who the Father give to him. Okay? The disciples are those whom the Father gave to the Son for the Son to give life to. Right? Jesus says again, verse 2, Since you have given him over all, given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Okay? So, so he, Jesus has been given the authority to give eternal life to, 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 to everyone. To everybody, to, I mean, just, just, I mean, there it is. Boom. Uh, everyone has life now. There are some that believe that everyone is saved, that everyone is going to be given grace, that every single person is already a child of God, and every single person eventually will will be brought into that loving relationship. And how can a loving God send anyone to hell? And how can a loving God, like Jesus, did not come to give life to all. Jesus came to give life to all. Whom God gave to him. It's right there. It's in the red. I can't change his words. I can try to explain them, but I can't change them. Since you have given him, Jesus' words, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So why do you have life? If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, why do you have life? Because Jesus gave it to you. Why did he give it to you? Because the Father gave you to him. Like um, at Christmas, we, we celebrate Jesus and we think of him like Jesus is, is God's gift to us. And certainly, absolutely, amen, that is so true. Where would we be without that precious gift, the gift of eternal life, the gift of his one and only son? But who are we? If Jesus is, 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 is the father's gift to us, then what are we? We are the father's gift to his son. Oh, I thought I was special. We are a gift. We are a gift to his son. When I think about my two sons, right? And my daughters, ladies, don't worry. <laughs> but when I think about my sons and I, I think about what could I give them? Right? I do. I think, about it. what could I give them? Because I always want to, one of my love languages must be gifts. It must have snuck up on me. I didn't know this. But like every time that I'm away from my family, every time I'm away from my kids, my first thought is, we've got to get them. 
Like, just, I wouldn't get them. St- like, so, like, not in my little, you know, I was at Target. I said in my sleep the other night, in my sleep, because I recorded it with an app on my phone, um, I mumbled, this is a little, this is a little something. It was something to say. I, I was at Target and I was thinking about you. That's what I said in my sleep. I don't know what. When I think about my sons and what could I give them, I could think of nothing better. If I could, if it was my power to give them a beautiful woman that loves Jesus to live their life with. If I could, if I could hand deliver them a bride. A, a, a pure spotless bride to be wed to, to live life with. That is what we are to Christ. We are the bride that the Father wills to give to His Son so that we might glorify Him. We jokingly refer to our wives as our better halves. I don't know. It's just, it's just I don't know. It's just silly, but it's, I think it's our better whole I'm not even sure if I'm willing to put my half in there. There's nothing more glorious than a, than a bride who, who will abide, who will remain, right? Who won't go nowhere. Like, I, I've said this before, but, but my wife, before she was my wife, right before she was my wife, she said, uh, Tommy, would you ever leave me? No, no, no. Like, what if I cheated on you? What if I walked out on you? Would you leave me? Would you divorce me? I, I said, I, I'm, I don't, um, I'm like, why? I'm gonna mumble that. It's kind of like, do I look good in this? You should just have the answer prepared. Her answer was prepared. She said, because I'm not going to leave you. Doesn't matter what you do, I'm not going to leave. Right? That's a gift, right? So, so the father says, here, son, my son, here's a bride who is going to abide, who's not going to leave, who's going who's gonna to honor you. He's going to bless you. We're given to the Son. And Jesus is acknowledging that. Jesus is, Jesus, in a way, he's saying, I wouldn't have a church. I wouldn't have a people. I wouldn't have disciples if, Father, you did not give them to me. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This, this just hit me in Ephesians. Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know why I didn't see this before. In Paul's declaration of how husbands should love their wives, if you look in Ephesians 5, you say, uh, um, yeah, wives submit. Yeah, we'd like to focus on that one. Um, Husbands, in verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their uh, wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So the father gives this bride and then what does the son do with that bride? What does the son do with all of his disciples? What does the son do with those adopted? He, he, he purifies them. He sanctifies them. He makes them worthy to be a bride to begin with. Verse 3. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do.
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Like, what was the work that Jesus was given by the Father to do? He says it to give life. To give life. He has done that, has he not? Look in your heart. If you believe, has he not done what the Father sent him to do? Has he not given you life? He's done it. He accomplished it. Why do you glorify God? Why do you lift your hands? Why do you praise? Why do you come? Why do you give? Why do you study? Why do you glorify God? Why do you worship him? Because Jesus gave you life. He's done it. We're not waiting for Jesus to accomplish something. He has accomplished it. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What does Jesus cry out on the cross? It is finished. It's done. It's completed. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. How does Jesus define life? How does Jesus define glory? Jesus defines life and glory as being in the presence of. Abiding with. Being with the Father. He doesn't, he doesn't define life as just see those people over there in the distance just doing real well. They're doing real well. They're happy. I did it. Glory and life for Jesus is presence. He said, glorify me in your own presence. What is glory to Jesus? Being in the presence of God. What can we now do? Now that we've been washed clean, washed of our sin, what can we now do? We can be in the presence. Because that's how Jesus defines glory. That's how he defines life, his presence. His presence is our present. And our present, our presence, is the Father's present to him. It's presence. It's just being with him. A lot of times we think, God, you're, you're going to be so proud of me after I get these things taken care of. Oh, it's going to be awesome. You have no idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be studying every day and my church is going to grow. We're going to be sending out missionaries and it's going to be great. And all of my children, they'll be just like, oh, let me die for you, Jesus. It's all going to happen because I'm going to get this stuff taken care of. And oh, my goodness, it's going to be so awesome. And Jesus is like, if you're not with me, then none of that matters. Jesus is saying, if I, if, if I can't be with you, if they can't can't be with you, then there is no glory. There is no life. Father, glorify me in your own presence. Jesus, glory without the presence is not glory. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Don't you just just love that like inside view that inside experience you can almost and I gosh I could be wrong and I should be so careful with this but I just kind of I feel like I can see and I can feel the heart of Jesus going like 
Remember, Father, remember what it was like when it was you and it was me. And it, it was with our Holy Spirit just abiding with one another and glorying in one another for an eternity. Remember what that was like before this creation was created. I want them to like experience that. Remember what that was like. That's what I want. That's what I want to come back to. And that's what I want to bring them to is to have that glory, to have that presence, to have that life like I had with you for an eternity before you sent me. Um, Mary and I have been remodeling the house, or at least before I... Um, we were doing a lot of work remodeling the house and about, about halfway through the project and we were getting so excited about all the different things that we were doing and oh, it's subway tile and oh, look, pendant lights and it's a farm sink and you know, it's all, we made all the rules, we got all the stuff the way we're supposed to have it and, and we, it really was exciting and it really was cool and really was fun but then there, there was a day in the middle of that where I just kind of failed as a husband. I didn't like fail to put the tile up properly. She's not like, I work harder, slave. It's not like I failed. Like I failed as a husband, all right? And I didn't like, I didn't start, you know, dealing math. I'm not living a double life, but I like, I, I just failed. I just failed. I, I made a mistake and I failed. And, and that brought about distance. We were separated. F- not physically. We were there. I was still working. She, w- we were still but there was distance between us. And I remember I was taking some stuff out to the trash and I said, what good would all of this do if Mara and I are not together? I'm like, this is garbage. It's all garbage. It doesn't matter. And I, I imagined in my head, and I did in that moment, I imagined the, 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 the dream house, Right? I imagine that house that we dreamed about having. Our bonus room has a bonus room, right? Like, we had all the room. Hey, where are the kids? They're here, but I don't see them. Like, that, everything. And I thought, garbage. If Mara and I are not together, then this, all of this, it's worthless. So, again, that's like, all of that glory is nothing if I'm not with her. Jesus is saying, all of the glory that I remember, that I have, that I know, it's all nothing if I'm not with you, Father. And all this work that I've been doing with these people, with these sons and with these daughters, with these disciples, all this work, if it doesn't end up with us together, then it's not glory. It's not life. Why did you even send me? Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Who do we belong to? Christ. We belong to Christ. Like, pray, like... Meditate on that this week, if nothing else. I belong to Christ. You, you hear that negative self-speak in the proper parlance there? Remind yourself, you belong to Christ. You're worried about something? And thank you guys for praying about our finances, about bills. You think Jesus is going to cause us to go without? You think my children are going to starve? Tommy, your children belong to Christ, their heavenly father is a better father than you could ever be anyway. You fail, they have a better father. Like they belong 
to him, Tommy, they belong to him. Right? Something tragic happens to a child of yours, to a spouse of yours. Remind yourself, they didn't belong to me to begin with. They weren't even mine to begin with. God shared them with me for a season. I knew they weren't mine to begin with. Have this understanding fuel the prayer that you pray for people that are most dear to you that do not know Christ. And I know you've prayed this way and that way. And I know you've prayed ceaselessly for years that that person, that that husband, that that wife, that night, that daughter, that son, that cousin, that uncle, that co-worker. I don't, that person, like pray this prayer. Right? Pray this prayer. Father, give my son to yours. Father, give my husband to Jesus. Give my wife to Jesus. I give, I, I'm tempted to say I give them. Like, not like we have any power over that. But you, you hear the heart cry? Like, God, I can't, I can't do this. I can't make him believe you. I can't make her believe you. I cannot make them love you. I cannot give them life. I can try to give them uh, a better day than they had yesterday, I suppose. But I can't actually, I can't give them the life that they really need. The only life that they can have that's eternal. It's a life given to them by Christ. And the only way that it'll be given to them by Christ is if you give them to Christ. So I give my children. Take my children from me and give them to your son, Jesus. Take my husband from me and, 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 and give him to Jesus. Take my wife from me and, and give her to Jesus. Because I can't do it. But Father, you can. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And they have kept uh, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. How do we know who are his? Those that keep his word. Those that keep his word. Do you desire to keep his word? Well, congratulations, you are his. Because the only, the only place that desire comes from is from him to begin with. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Jesus himself, being God, confesses that he would have nothing if it didn't come from the Father. And when we see Jesus, and we see his life, and we see his heart, and we're given the faith to believe, and we're given the eyes to see, we're given the ears to hear, we come to know that everything that Jesus has is from the Father. So if we want anything, where is it going to come from? It's going to come from the Father as well. Now they know, we know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Jesus says, I have given them the words that you gave me. 
and they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Do you believe that Jesus' words are the words of God? Jesus' words are the words of God. And if you believe that, it means that you are his. Jesus just prayed for me. Just prayed for me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus just prayed for me. And Jesus is praying for me that I would know that I am his because I believe in him. And he is praying that I would be given life and that I would experience the glory of being found in his presence as he basks in the glory of his father's presence. Like this is God's words for you. Do you believe that these words of Jesus are the words of God? And if, and if you believe that, then why don't we live differently? Why didn't yesterday look differently for me? It should have. If I really believe these words, yesterday should have looked different. Today should look different. Tomorrow should definitely look different if I believe that these are the words of God. Because where we're starting next week in verse 9, I am praying for them. Jesus is praying for you. And Christians every day tell you, I'm praying for you. They're probably not. Jesus says that he's praying for you. Believe it. Let's pray.